You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Following the Brexit vote in 2016, the UK has been in the socio-political spotlight. Because of this, the Vice-Chancellor of Portsmouth University in the UK has some lessons that he can share with Australian universities. In Perth for the 2018 Vice-Chancellor's Distinguished Oration at Edith Cowan University, he spoke to us in advance of his speech. You raised two key things that are happening at the moment that are affecting the world and in turn affecting universities. And those things are the rise of populism and the fourth industrial revolution. I was hoping you could tell me how they could or are affecting universities specifically. Yeah, I think that there is a sense that for um, generations, really, I think universities have been seen as very much trusted institutions. Um, And I think in recent years, the um, rise of kind of market forces within higher education combined with the kind of political changes that we have seen um, following on, I think, from the financial crash has meant that people are really questioning more uh, universities and and maybe uh, in their minds questioning some of our motivations for the things that we do. And there is no doubt that universities are really, really good at responding to their own business needs and doing a fantastic job. But I think we need to now do more than that. And we need to rediscover our role, if you like, as enabling institutions for society. You talk about what's happened in the UK, for example, Brexit, and you sort of make a link to Australia in that we've had some form of political turmoil. But obviously, Australia is different to Britain. We seem to not have as deep class divides as there are in Britain. And also populist parties don't have as much support as they seem to in other parts of the world. Given that, is Australia perhaps a little more immune than Britain from these issues? I don't think anybody is immune from any of those issues. And I think that um, often things that happen in Britain follow around uh, the world in places like Australia and vice versa, actually. Um, And I think there has been a period of time when I think rules opened up in Australia for immigration and the like. And I think there are some, you know, forces rethinking that. And there was, of course, some um, issues in Australia in the past in relation to uh, Indian students, you know, being told to go home and things like that, that did cause, I think, some some challenges for Australian universities over a period of time. So I think it would be complacent to think that these things can never um, happen ever uh, in Australia. Um, and in many ways, I think that's what I'm really trying to say is that there may be uh, lessons learned, things to look out for and be aware of. Um, because I think what's happening in Britain is certainly reflected in the whole of Europe, um, where there is a rise of uh, populism and uh, and in America, where there is a rise of populism with uh, Donald Trump. Um, and I think it is a reaction to, um, as you rightly see, um, a kind of divide in society. Um, and you are right, that may well be less marked in Australia, but I think it's worthwhile being cognizant of, of the risks that that poses. 
So two issues that have been big in the UK in relation to universities are VC pay rises and student fee hikes. And I understand yours made the news earlier this year. Are those things that Australian unis should be thinking about now in terms of how to respond to them if they do happen? Yeah, I mean, I think there is uh, you know, concern. I think it goes back to the idea that in the past, universities were always viewed very much as kind of public institutions serving public need. And I think since fees were introduced in Britain in a similar way uh, that they exist in Australia, there has been more suspicion about universities acting much more in their own interests and much less in the more general um, interests of society. And one way that has emerged, and it is only one way, is on things like VCP and remuneration and so on, and that sort of suspicion that at, at the end of the day, we're not really acting as much in the public interest as we used to, but we're now acting more as businesses would act. And of course, salaries in um, Australia are significantly higher for VCs, very significantly higher for VCs as they are in uh, the UK. And so it's just an interesting, there's an interesting challenge there, I think, that might well, could well play out in the future. But I think what really is important is that universities are seen to be acting uh, much more for the broader public good. And I think in doing that, those other issues do not arise. They only arise as a result of that suspicion they were acting only as businesses and not actually concerned about the broader uh, well-being of society more generally. You give one suggestion about what universities here can do to re-establish or firm up that trust from the public. So that example is establishing a teaching excellence framework. Can you talk a bit about that and also give your other ideas on what universities do can do in Australia to prevent a decline in public trust? Yeah, well, an element of, of, of that decline um, occurs because we are seen to be acting uh, only 100% in our self-interest, which is not the case, but that is often the perception. And so uh, one example um, is um, being more involved in the broader um, educational performance of of young people and society. Um, an example that I give is when the UK government suggested that universities should be more engaged in supporting uh, schools um, and FE colleges. And you know, a group of universities very quickly said, "Well, we would never do that." And I think that led to a sort of reaction, a negative reaction, which says, well, you know, the moment we ask you to engage more broadly, uh, you immediately run away and say, I won't do it because it's not my core business. And I think in the past, there might have been an expectation that universities would have recognised that actually there is an element of self-interest, but it's also a good thing to do. In other words, if we really believe in the excellence of education and its importance, especially with the changes in the workforce that are going to happen in the future, then surely we would want to support uh, the government and society in having the greatest number of people properly educated to prepare for that change, not just 
at university level, although that, of course, is our core business. And another element of it is the general accountability of universities, where I think it's not unreasonable that government should say, well, if I'm, spend, I'm spending a pound in universities, I could spend a pound on healthcare, I could spend a pound on you know, other um, uh, you know, government activities. Um, why should I spend a pound on universities? You know, what is the value of that investment? And I think in future years, we will look back with some astonishment that the only assessment of the quality of higher education uh, in the past was uh, research excellence. And while that's important, um, what government in the main is paying for um, is for the education of, of people, of students, and not to measure whether that is successful or not will, I think, in 10 years' time you know, sound bizarre. Um, but of course, that's the situation that we have in the main in Australia and is a situation that we had in the UK a few years ago until the Teaching Excellence Framework appeared. And so I do think that it's 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 crazy for the sector to be, you know, pushing against those things. And my my feeling is that it's inevitable that um, across the world there will be more attention paid to measuring the added value um, that our university provides in terms of teaching excellence, uh, and that we will have to justify and uh, that we really are adding uh, value to individuals' lives. Um, and, you know, better to embrace that because I think it's inevitable uh, rather than be again in the wrong side of the argument and saying, I don't like the idea, why should we do it and so on, which is a bit you know, like what happened in the early days in the United Kingdom. So you talk about uh, this term unbundling and raise an issue with it. Can you define what it is and explain your point of view? Well, my point of view is that I think that um, on the one hand, we need to embrace um, logical and sensible change, like, for example, the measuring of teaching excellence. It's not an unreasonable uh, idea. In fact, the public would find it bizarre if we were resisting such a thing. However, I think that in the marketization of higher education, I think there are limits to the market because there are certain things that become very, very difficult for the, the student to be the sole uh, determinant of what happens, and particularly the content of a programme of study or what elements of study uh, the student might choose to participate in, because there is a small growing idea that um, universities could be a kind of pick and mix experience where you choose the things that you want to do and pay for them and elect not to do uh, the other things and therefore not pay for them. And I think that represents a real danger. Uh, it's a real danger to all students because, of course, by necessity, there will be some things that some students need and some things that other students need you know, more than another. Um, but that whole process of funding it in totality and giving a rounded experience, I think, is really important, especially considering that the needs in terms of employment and skills for students are becoming greater, particularly in relation to the softer skills, not just the academic knowledge. So are you referring to the fact that uh, it might be important for students to 
potentially be physically on campus to study so that they can have that social interaction aspect to the I university? Think, I th- yeah, I think for I think it depends, of course, on the age group and the life experience of the individual. But for young students coming to university straight from a school experience, I, I do believe that that's where they will develop many of those skills that are really important. And I do reference in the paper to the fact that particularly in the UK, it is very, very difficult to encourage students to participate and study abroad and yet all of my academic staff all of our experience and all of the evidence would suggest activities like uh, placement in work and study abroad are the most transformational things that students can do as part of their higher education and yet these are not necessarily the things that they would naturally choose to do having chosen to do it or being encouraged to do it then they then uh, have an experience that they say was the best that they ever had. But if asked, would you choose to do it at the beginning, they would often say no. And so there are elements that we probably have to build into the curriculum, which they may not ordinarily choose, but we know are the things that will make the biggest difference to them and their life chances. If you could somehow summarise your speech in terms of the key messages for Australia, um, what would they be? Well, I think we need to rediscover our role as enabling civic institutions. We need to rediscover uh, responsibilities for the broader community that we serve, not just the students that we teach. Well, thank you so much for giving your time to talk to me before your speech. No problem. Thank you.